Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us and for coming back online. We're continuing our reading of Krishna book. And before we start the reading, His Holiness Keshe Bharti Maharaj will read a prayer from Sanatan Goswami, eulogizing the Srimad Bhagavatam, reminding us of the deep importance of hearing from this book. Go deep into this prayer, and it will help you go deep into the Bhagavatam. <clears throat> Srimad Bhagavata Mahima Stotram by Srila Sanatan Goswami. Sarva Shastrabdipi Yusha Sarva Vedaika Satpala Sarva Siddhanta Ratnaja Sarva Lokaika Drikprida O nectar from the ocean of all scriptures, singular fruit of all the Vedas, rich mine of the precious gems of all conclusive truths, you are the only giver of sight to all the worlds. Sarva Bhagavata Prana, Srimad Bhagavata Prabho, Kalidvandudita Ditya, Sri Krishna Parivartita. O life heir of all the Supreme Lord's devotees, O Master, Srimad Bhagavatam, you are the sun risen in the darkness of Kali. You are the exact image of Sri Krishna. Paramananda Pataya, Parshakshadayate Sarvada Sarvasevyaya Shri Krishnaya Namostume I bow down to you who are supremely blissful to read. Your every syllable <clears throat> pours down a flood of prema. You can always be served by everyone. You are Shri Krishna himself. Mareka bando matsangin Madguro man bahadana Mannis dadagamadbhagya Madanandanamostute My only friend, my constant companion, my spiritual master, my great wealth, my savior, my good fortune, my source of ecstasy, I bow down to you. Asadu sadutadayin Atini chochatakara O bestower of saintliness to the unsaintly, O exalter of the most fallen, please never leave me. Always appear in my heart and my voice with pure love. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Krishna book or Krishna the Supreme Personality of Godhead chapter 65 Ram enters Vrindavan <coughs> Lord Balaram became very anxious to see his father and mother in Vrindavan. 
Therefore, with great enthusiasm, he started on a chariot for Vrindavan. The inhabitants of Vrindavan had been anxious to see Krishna and Balaram for a very long time. When Lord Balaram returned to Vrindavan, all the coward boys and the gopis had grown up. But still, on his arrival, they all embraced him, and Balaram embraced them in reciprocation. After this, he came before Maharaj Nanda and Yashoda and offered his respectful obeisances. In response, Mother Yashoda and Nanda Maharaj offered their blessings unto him. They addressed him as Jagadishwara, or the Lord of the universe who maintains everyone. The reason for this was that Krishna and Balaram maintain all living entities, and yet Nanda and Yashoda were put into such difficulties on account of their absence. Feeling like this, they embraced Balaram and, seating him on their laps, began their perpetual crying, wetting Balaram with their tears. Lord Balaram then offered his respectful obeisances to the elderly cowherd men and accepted the obeisances of the younger cowherd men. Thus, according to their different ages and relationships, Lord Balaram exchanged feelings of friendship with them. He shook hands with those who were his equals in age and friendship and with loud laughing embraced each one of them. After being received by the cowherd men and boys, the gopis and King Nanda and Yashoda, Lord Balaram sat down, feeling satisfied, and they all surrounded him. First, Lord Balaram inquired from them about the, their welfare, and then, since they had not seen him for such a long time, they began to ask him different questions. The inhabitants of Vrindavan had sacrificed everything for Krishna, simply being captivated by the lotus eyes of the Lord. Because of their great desire to love Krishna, they never desired anything like elevation to the heavenly planets or merging into the effulgence of Brahman to become one with the Absolute. They are not even interested in enjoying a life of opulence, but were satisfied in living a simple life in the village as cowherds. They were always absorbed in thoughts of Krishna and did not desire any personal benefits. And they were all so much in love with him that in his absence their voices faltered when they began to inquire from Balaramaji. First Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda Mai inquired, My dear Balaram, are our friends like Vasudev and others in the family doing well? Now you and Krishna are grown up, married men with children. In the happiness of family life, do you sometimes remember your poor father and mother, Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda Devi? It is very good news that the most sinful Kamsa has been killed by you and that our friends like Vasudev and the others who had been harassed have now been relieved. It is also very good news that you and Krishna defeated Jarasandha and Kali Yavana, who is now dead, and that you are now living in a fortified residence in Dwarka. When the gopis arrived, Lord Balaram glanced over them with loving eyes. Being overjoyed, the gopis, who had so long been mortified on account of Krishna's and Balaram's absence, began to ask about the welfare of the two brothers. They specifically asked Balaram whether Krishna was enjoying his life surrounded by the enlightened women of Dwarakapuri. Does he sometimes remember his father, Nanda, and his mother, Yashoda, and the other friends with whom he has so intimately behaved well in Vrindavan? Does Krishna have any plans to come here to see his mother, Yashoda? And does he remember us gopis, who are now pitiably bereft of his company? 
Krishna may have forgotten us in the midst of the cultured women of Dwarka, but as far as we are concerned, we still remember him by collecting flowers and sewing them into garlands. When he does not come, however, we simply pass our time by crying. If only he would come here and accept these garlands we have made. Dear Lord Balaram, descendant of Dasharha, you know that we would give up everything for Krishna's friendship. Even in great distress, one cannot give up the connection of family members, but although it might be impossible for others, we gave up our fathers, mothers, sisters, and relatives. But then Krishna, without caring, a pinch for our renunciation, all of a sudden renounced us and went away. He broke off our intimate relationship without serious consideration and left for a foreign country. But he was so clever and cunning that he manufactured very nice words. He said, My dear gopis, please do not worry. The service you have rendered me is impossible for me to repay. After all, we are women, so how could we disbelieve him? Now we can understand that his sweet words were simply for cheating us. Protesting Krishna's absence. From Vrindavan, another gopi said, My dear Balaramaji, we are all, we are of course village girls, so Krishna could cheat us in that way. But what about the women of Dwarka? Don't think they are as foolish as we are. We village women might be misled by Krishna, but the women in the city of Dwarka are very clever and intelligent. Therefore, I would be surprised if such city women could be misled by Krishna and could believe his words. Then another gopi began to speak. My dear friend, she said, Krishna is very clever in using words. No one can compete with him in that art. He can manufacture such colorful words and talk so sweetly that the heart of any woman would be misled. Besides that, he has perfected the art of smiling very attractively, and by seeing his smile, women become mad after him and give themselves to him without hesitation. Another gopi, after hearing this, said, My dear friends, what is the use of talking about Krishna? If you are at all interested in passing time by talking, let us talk on some subject other than him. If cruel Krishna can pass his time without us, why can't we pass our time without Krishna? Of course, Krishna is passing his days without us very happily, but we cannot pass our days happily without him. When the gopis were talking in this way, their feelings for Krishna became more and more intense, and they were experienced Krishna's smiling, Krishna's words of love, Krishna's attractive features, Krishna's characteristics, and Krishna's embraces. By the force of their ecstatic feelings, it appeared to them that Krishna was personally present and dancing before them. Because of their sweet remembrance of Krishna, they could not check their tears, and they cried without consideration. Lord Balaram, of course, could understand the ecstatic feelings of the gopis, and therefore he wanted to pacify them. He was expert in presenting an appeal, and thus, treating the gopis very respectfully, he began to narrate the stories of Krishna so tactfully that the gopis became satisfied. To keep the, boat, to keep the gopis in Vrindavan satisfied, Lord Balaram stayed there continuously for two months, namely the months of Chaitra, March through April, and Vaishaka, April-May. For those two months, he kept himself among the gopis, and he passed every night with them in the forest of Vrindavan to satisfy their desire for conjugal love. Thus Balaram also enjoyed the rasa dance, 
with the gopis during those two months. Since the season was springtime, the breeze on the bank of the Jamuna was blowing very mildly, carrying the aroma of different flowers, especially the flower known as Kaumudi. Moonlight filled the sky and spread everywhere, and thus the banks of the Jamuna appeared very bright and pleasing, and Lord Balaram enjoyed the company of the gopis there. The de demigod known as Varuna sent his daughter Varuni in the form of liquid honey oozing from the hollows of the trees. Because of this honey, the whole forest became aromatic and the sweet aroma of the liquid honey. Varuni captivated Balaramaji. Balaramaji and all the gopis became very much attracted by the taste of the Varuni and all of them drank it together. While drinking this natural beverage, all the gopis chanted the glories of Lord Balaram and Lord Balaram felt very happy as if he had become intoxicated by drinking that Varuni beverage. His eyes rolled in a pleasing attitude. He was decorated with long garlands of forest flowers, and the whole situation appeared to be a great function of happiness because of this transcendental bliss. Lord Balaram smiled beautifully, and the drops of perspiration decorating his face appeared like soothing morning dew. While Balaram was in that happy mood, he desired to enjoy the company of the gopis in the water of the Yamuna. Therefore he called the Yamuna to come nearby. But the Yamuna neglected the order of Balaramaji, considering him intoxicated. <clears throat> Lord Balaram became very much displeased at the Yamuna's neglecting his order. He immediately wanted to scratch the land near the river with his plowshare. Lord Balaram had, has two weapons, a plow and a club from which he takes service when they required. This time he wanted to bring the Yamuna by force and he took the help of his plow. He wanted to punish the Yamuna because she did not come in obedience to his order. He addressed the Yamuna, you wretched river, you did not care for my order, now I shall teach you a lesson. You did not come to me voluntarily now, with the help of my plow, I shall force you to come. I shall divide you into hundreds of scattered streams. When the Yamuna was threatened like this, she became greatly afraid of the power of Balaram and immediately came in person, falling at his lotus feet and praying thus, My dear Balaram, you are the most powerful personality and you are pleasing to everyone. Unfortunately, I forgot your glorious, exalted position, but now I have come to my senses, and I remember that you hold all the planetary systems on your head merely by your partial expansion, Shesha. <clears throat> you are the sustainer of the whole universe. My dear Supreme Personality of Godhead, you are full with six opulences, because I forgot your omnipotence, I have mistakenly disobeyed your order, and thus I have become a great offender. But my dear Lord, please know that I am a soul surrendered unto you, who are very affectionate to your devotees. <clears throat> Therefore, please excuse my impudence and mistakes, and by your causeless mercy, may you now release me. <clears throat> Upon displaying this submissive attitude, the Yamuna was forgiven 
and when she came nearby, Lord Balaram enjoyed the pleasure of swimming in her waters along with the gopis in the same way that an elephant enjoys himself along with his many she-elephants. After a long time, when Lord Balaram had enjoyed to his full satisfaction, he came out of the water, and immediately the god a goddess of fortune offered him a nice blue garment and a valuable necklace made of gold. After bathing in the Yamuna, Lord Balaram, dressed in blue garments and decorated with golden ornaments, looked very attractive to everyone. Lord Balaram's complexion is white, and when he was properly dressed, he looked exactly like the white elephant of King Indra in the heavenly planets. The river Yamuna still has many small branches due to being scratched by the plowshare of Lord Balaram. And all these branches of the river Yamuna still glorify the omnipotence of Lord Balaram. Lord Balaram and the gopis enjoyed transcendental pastimes together every night for two months. And time passed so quickly that all those nights appeared to be only one night. In the presence of Lord Balaram, all the gopis and other inhabitants of Vrindavan became as cheerful as they had been before in the presence of both brothers, Lord Krishna and Lord Balaram. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 65th chapter of Krishna. Lord Balaram visits Rindavan. <laughs> chapter 66, <clears throat> the deliverance of Poundraka and the king of Kashi. <clears throat> the story of King Poundraka is very interesting it, because it proves that there have always been many rascals and fools who have considered themselves God. Even in the presence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, there was such a foolish person. His name was Poundraka, and he wanted to declare himself God. While Lord Balaram was absent in Vrindavan, this King Poundraka, the king of Kurusha province, being foolish and puffed up, sent a messenger to Lord Krishna. Lord Krishna is accepted as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but King Poundraka directly challenged Krishna through the messenger, who stated that Poundraka, not Krishna, was Vasudeva. In the present day, there are many foolish followers of such rascals. Similarly, in Pandraka's day, many foolish men accepted Pandraka as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Because he could not estimate his own position, Pandraka falsely thought himself to be Lord Vasudev. Thus, the messenger declared to Krishna that King Pandraka, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, had descended to the earth out of his causeless mercy just to deliver all distressed persons. Surrounded by many other foolish persons, this rascal Poundraka had actually concluded that he was Vasudeva, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. This kind of conclusion is certainly childish. When children are playing, 
they sometimes select a king among themselves, and the selected child may think that he is actually the king. Similarly, many foolish persons, due to ignorance, select another fool as God, and then the rascal, and then the rascal actually considers himself God, <clears throat> as if God could be created by childish play or by the votes of men. Under this false impression, thinking himself the Supreme Lord, Pandraka sent his messenger to Dwarka to challenge the position of Krishna. The messenger reached the royal assembly of Krishna in Dwarka and conveyed the message given by his master, Pondraka. The message contained the following statements. I am the only supreme personality of Godhead, Vasudeva. No man can compete with me. I have descended as King Pondraka, taking compassion on the distressed conditioned souls out of my unlimited, causeless mercy. But you should not propagate this. You have falsely taken the position of Vasudeva without authority. But you should not propagate this false idea. You must give up your position. O descendant of the Yadu dynasty, please give up all the symbols <clears throat> of Vasudeva, which you have falsely assumed. And after giving up this position, come and surrender unto me. If out of your gross impudence you do not care for my words, then I challenge you to, a f to fight. <clears throat> I am inviting you to a battle in which the decision will be settled. When all the members of the royal assembly, including King Ugrasena, heard this message by Poundraka, they laughed very loudly for a considerable time. After enjoying the loud laughter of all the members of the assembly, Krishna replied to the messenger as follows, O messenger of Pandraka, you may carry my message to your master. You are a foolish rascal. I directly call you a rascal, and I refuse to follow your instructions. I shall never give up the symbols of Vasudeva, especially my disc. I shall use this disc to kill not only you, but all your followers also. I shall destroy you and your foolish associates, who merely constitute a society of cheaters and the cheated. O foolish king, you will then have to conceal your face in disgrace. And when your head is severed from your body by my disc, it will be surrounded by meat-eating birds like vultures, hawks, and eagles. At that time, instead of becoming my shelter, as you have demanded, you will be subject to the mercy of these low-born birds. At that time, your body will be thrown to the dogs who will eat it with great pleasure. The messenger carried the words of Lord Krishna to his master, Pondraka, who patiently heard all these insults. Without waiting any longer, Lord Sri Krishna immediately started out on his chariot to punish the rascal 
Pondraka, the king of Karusha. Because, of, because at that time, he was living with his friend, the king of Kashi. Krishna surrounded the whole city of Kashi. King Pandraka was a great warrior, and as soon as he heard of Krishna's attack, he came out of the city with two Akshohini divisions of soldiers. The king of Kashi also came out with three Akshohini divisions. When the two kings came before Lord Krishna to oppose him, Krishna saw, saw Pandraka face to face for the first time. <clears throat> Krishna saw <clears throat> that Pandraka had decorated himself with the symbols of the conch shell, disc, lotus, and club. He carried an imitation Sharnga bow, and on his chest was a mock insignia of Shibats. His neck was decorated with a false Kaustuba jewel, and he wore a flower garland, an exact imitation of Lord Vasudeva's. Sounds like Guru Maharaji. He was then dressed in yellow silken garments. He was dressed in yellow silken garments, and the flag on his chariot carried the symbol of Garuda, exactly imitating Krishna's. He had a very valuable helmet on his head, and his earrings like swordfish glittered brilliantly. On the whole, however, his dress and makeup were clearly imitation. Anyone could understand that he was just like someone on stage playing the part of Vasudev in false dress. When Lord Sri Krishna saw Paundraka imitating his posture and dress, he could not check his laughter, and thus he laughed with great satisfaction. The soldiers on the side of King Pondraka began to shower their weapons upon Krishna. The weapons including various kinds of tridents, clubs, poles, lances, swords, daggers and arrows came flying in waves and Krishna counteracted them. He smashed not only the weapons but also the soldiers and assistants of Pondraka just as during the dissolution of this universe the fire of devastation burns everything to ashes. The elephants, chariots, horses, and infantry belonging to the opposite party were scattered by the weapons of Krishna. Indeed, the whole battlefield became strewn with smashed chariots and the bodies of men and animals. There were fallen horses, elephants, men, asses, and camels. Although the devastated battlefield appeared like the dancing place of Lord Shiva at the time of the dissolution of the world, the warriors on the side of Krishna were very much encouraged by seeing this, and they fought with greater strength. At this time, Lord Krishna told Pondraka, Pondraka, you requested me to give up the symbols of Lord Vishnu, specifically my disc. Now I will give it up. Now I will give it up to you. Be careful. You falsely declare yourself Vasudev, imitating me. Therefore, no one is a greater fool than you. From this statement of Krishna's, it is clear that any rascal who advertises himself as God is the greatest fool in human society. Krishna continued, Now, Pondraka, I shall force you to give up this false representation. You wanted me to surrender it unto you. Now this is your opportunity. We shall now fight, and if I am defeated and you are victorious, I shall certainly surrender unto you. In this way, after chastising Pondraka very severely, Krishna smashed Pondraka's chariot to pieces by shooting an arrow. Then, with the help of his disc, he separated Pondraka's head from his body, 
just as Indra shaves off the peaks of mountains by striking them with his thunderbolt. Similarly, Krishna also killed the king of Kashi with his arrows. Lord Krishna specifically arranged to throw the head of the king of Kashi into the city of Kashi itself so that his relatives and family members could see it. Krishna did this just as a hurricane carries a lotus petal here and there. Lord Krishna killed Paundraka and his friend Kashiraj on the battlefield, and then he returned to his city, his capital city, Dwarka. When Lord Krishna returned to the city of Dwarka, all the siddhas from the heavenly planets were singing his glories. As far as Pandraka was concerned, somehow or other, he always thought of Lord Vasudeva by falsely dressing himself in imitation of the Lord. Therefore, Pandraka achieved Sarupya, one of the five kinds of liberation, and was thus promoted to the heavenly planets, where the devotees have the same bodily features as Vishnu, with four hands holding the four symbols. Factually, his meditation was concentrated on the Vishnu form, but because he thought himself Lord Vishnu, it was offensive. By his being killed by Krishna, however, that offense was mitigated. Thus, he was given Sarupya liberation, and he attained the same form as the Lord. When the head of the king of Kashi was thrown through the city gate, people gathered and were astonished to see that wonderful thing. When they found out that there were earrings on it, they could understand that it was someone's head. They conjectured as to whose head it might be. Some thought it was Krishna's head because Krishna was the enemy of Kashiraj and they calculated that the king of Kashi might have thrown Krishna's head into the city so that people might take pleasure in the enemies having been killed. But they finally detected that the head was not Krishna's but that of Kashiraj himself. When this was ascertained, the queens of the king of Kashi immediately approached and began to lament the death of their husband. Our dear Lord, they cried, upon your death we have become just like dead bodies. The king of Kashi had a son whose name was Sadakshina. After observing the ritualistic funeral ceremonies, he took a vow that since Krishna was the enemy of his father, he would kill Krishna and in this way liquidate his debt to his father. Therefore, accompanied by a learned priest qualified to help him, he began to worship Mahadev, Lord Shiva. Lord Shiva, who is also known as Vishwanath, is the lord of the kingdom of Kashi. The temple of Lord Vishwanath is still existing in Varanasi, and many thousands of pilgrims still gather daily in that temple. By the worship of Sudakshina, Lord Shiva, who was very pleased Lord Shiva was very much pleased, and he wanted to give a benediction to his devotee. Sudakshina's purpose was to kill Krishna, and therefore he prayed for a special power by which to kill him. Lord Shiva, <coughs> Sudakshina's purpose was to kill Krishna, and therefore he prayed for a specific power by which to kill him. Lord Shiva advised that Sudakshina, assisted by the Brahmanas, execute the ritualistic ceremony for killing one's enemy. This ceremony is also mentioned in some of the tantras. Lord Shiva informed Sudakshina that if such a black ritualistic ceremony were performed properly, then the evil spirit named Dakshinagni would appear and then carry out any order given to him. 
He would have to be employed, however, to kill someone other than a qualified brahmana. If all these conditions were met, then Dakshinagni, accompanied by Lord Shiva's ghostly companions, would fulfill the desire of Sudakshina to kill his enemy. When Sudakshina was encouraged by Lord Shiva in this way, he was sure that he would be able to kill Krishna. With a determined vow of austerity, he began to execute the black art of chanting mantras assisted by many priests. After this, out of the fire came a great demoniac form whose hair, beard, and mustache were exactly the color of hot copper. This form was a very big and this form was very big and fierce. As the demon arose from the fire, cinders of fire emanated from the sockets of his eyes. The giant fiery demon appeared still more fierce due to the movements of his eyebrows. He exhibited long, sharp teeth and sticking out his long tongue, licked his upper and lower lips. He was naked and he carried a, long, a big trident, blazing like fire. After appearing from the fire of sacrifice, he stood wielding the trident in his hand. Instigated by Sudakshina, the demon proceeded toward the capital city, Dwarka, with many hundreds of ghostly companions. And it appeared that he was going to burn all outer space to ashes. The surface of the earth trembled because of his striking steps. When he entered the city of Dwarka, all the residents panicked, just like animals in a forest fire. At that time, Krishna was playing chess in the Royal Assembly Council Hall. All the residents of Dwarka approached and addressed him, Dear Lord of the Three Worlds, a great fiery demon is ready to burn the whole city of Dwarka. Please save us. In this way, all the inhabitants of Dwarka appealed to Lord Krishna for protection from the fiery demon who had just appeared in Dwarka to devastate the whole city. Lord Krishna, who specifically protects his devotees, saw that the whole population of Dwarka was most perturbed by the presence of the fire, great fiery demon. He immediately smiled and assured them, Don't worry, I shall give you all protection. The Supreme Personality Godhead Krishna is all-pervading. He is within everyone's heart, and he is also without, in the form of the cosmic manifestation. He could understand that the fiery demon was a creation of Lord Shiva, and in order to vanquish the demon, he took his Sudarshan Chakra and ordered him to take the necessary steps. The Sudarshan Chakra appeared with the effulgence of millions of suns, his heat being as powerful as the fire created at the end of the cosmic manifestation. By his effulgence, the Sudarshan Chakra illuminated the entire universe, on the surface of the earth, as well as in outer space. Then the Sudarshan Chakra began to freeze the fiery demon created by Lord Shiva. In this way, the fiery demon was checked by the Sudarshan Chakra of Lord Krishna and being defeated in his attempt to devastate the city of Dwarka, he turned back. <clears throat> Having failed to set fire to Dwarka, the fiery demon went back to Varanasi, the kingdom of Kashiraj. As a result of his return, all the priests who had helped instruct the black art of mantras, along with their employer, Sudakshina, were burned to ashes by the glaring effulgence of the fiery demon. According to the methods of black art mantras, instructed in the tantras, if the mantra fails to kill the enemy, then, because it must kill someone, 
It kills the original creator. <clears throat> Seduction was the originator, and the priests assisted him. Therefore, all of them were burned to ashes. This is the way of the demons. The demons create something to kill God, but, but by the same weapon, the demons themselves are killed. Following just behind the fiery demon, the Surasan Chakra also entered Varanasi. This city had been very opulent and great for a very long time. Even now the city of Varanasi is opulent and famous, and it is one of the important cities of India. <clears throat> there were then many big palaces, assembly houses, marketplaces and gates, with large and very important monuments by the palaces and gates. Lecturing platforms could be found at each and every crossroads. There were buildings that housed the treasury, elephants, horses, chariots and grain, and places for distribution of food. The city of Varanasi had been filled with all these material opulences for a very long time, but because the king of Kashi and his son Sudakshina were against Lord Krishna, the Vishnu Chakra Sudarshan, the disc weapon of Lord Krishna, devastated the whole city by burning all these important places. This excursion was more ravaging than modern bombing. The Sudarshan Chakra, having thus finished his duty, came back to his Lord, Sri Krishna, at Dwarka. This narration of the devastation of Varanasi by Krishna's disc weapon, the Sudarshan Chakra, is transcendental and auspicious. Anyone who narrates or hears this story with faith and attention will be released from all reaction to sinful activities. This is the assurance of Shukadev Goswami, who narrated this story to Parikshit Maharaj. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 66th chapter of Krishna, the deliverance of Pondraka and the king of Kashi. Haribo! Srimad <laughs> Bhagavatam, history of the universe, what to speak of the 10th canto, was the history of Krishna's appearance and activities. And we clap like this, I mean, because we're very enthusiastic and happy, but also it's like, it's a bit like a huge drama, and each chapter is like an act of this drama. So we're we're all we're asking encore, 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 more, more, more. <clears throat> chapter sixty-seven. What something? Okay, I'll take a break. Uh, Thinking uh, one connection, a kind of cool connection came to me when the head was thrown, Krishna threw the head of Kashiraj back into the um, the kingdom and then the wives were lamenting and they said, like addressed as, as my dear Lord. And I was thinking, it made me think of Rukmini's prayers uh, to Krishna when she said that, like, they're... Well, like all the other, when um, when Krishna joked with her, saying she should accept another husband, 
Uh, but she said that being attached to anybody else is like being attached to, like, um, like their body, their, their blood and stool and mustache and hairs and things like that. And and so these these queens were like experiencing that they're they're addressing as their lord, uh, but the it was just like the head that was thrown out from Krishna. of the suspense I said it's a shocking scene because of the suspense they first thought maybe it's Krishna's head and then I mean you can imagine their dismay when they saw that it was actually their king's head it's pretty much interesting that Kashiraj he is the practically the ancestor of Arjuna so it was taken by Bhishma Pitamaha from there and they're in their line but in the time of Krishna so Krishna is pretty much particular if anyone um, not with Dharma he is killing even he is a relative but what's actually impressing me in Kurukshetra it was such a battle and Krishna accepted such a humble position of a chariot driver though himself he was able to smash such a Akshauhini is like anything, mass, to create mass. You can see that, for me it's particularly very, very uh, jumping in the eyes, how humble Krishna is and during the Kurukshetra time. He becomes servant of his devotee and he was just to uplift his devotee. While himself he can destroy whether Jarasandha or Pondraka or Kashiraj. It's very interesting. If you can see the picture, bird eye view picture. Hare Krishna. I just remember reading that Padraka had actually two fake arms, but now I didn't read. Uh, More detail there. That about More detail about how everything was gerrymandered in, <laughs> really pasted together, and you know, it was obviously fake. I was just surprised qualities that the the uh the women were saying of Krishna that the gopis were saying about his smile and different things like that um and it just it just reinforces this this idea this or this fact that Krishna is a person he's an actual person you can see his qualities what he's like how he acts and I was just hearing Prabhupada um give a lecture in the first chapter of Bhagavad Gita I forget the verse but Prabhupada's saying that you know, you come and ask us about God, we, ha we can give you his address, we can tell you who his parents are, we can tell you where he lives, we can tell you what he does, we can tell you his phone number. So, like that, and you can understand that, you know, we have so much, so much is given to us by the, the Acharyas and, and the Vedic scriptures. Hare Krishna. I was appreciating um, Balaram visiting Vrindavan and staying there for two months. It's just a whole different time scale on how people live life. Now it's like, yeah, uh, yeah, I can talk to you. You got two minutes, you know? Like, maybe, you know? <laughs> can you make your point? No, no, okay, all right, we're done. And, and it, he was in Mithila, he stayed for four months, you know, and then was teaching. 
four years, yeah, four years, <laughs> just four years, you know. So it's, yeah, different attitude towards time and and uh, and he was, yeah, special. Sounds kind of like your schedule. <laughs> Anyone outside? I really liked how in the face of a challenge, Krishna and all the ministers just laughed loudly and for a very long time. Like if someone were to come in here and challenge us, would we choose to laugh very loudly at them? Or would we be very somber and serious? So, uh, and then he went and did the needful immediately killing him. So, just a great sequence of emotions and actions. <laughs> to, to Naveen's point, when we first came to India in 1975, that was the first year we came to India, and uh, India was a different place than it is now. Of course, in the hearts of the major cities, it was pretty intense. But in general, things were just laid back more. And uh, you, you could only buy one kind of car. No, this is the truth. We saw it with our own eyes. The ambassador. Sometimes you see one putting along, you know, in this, one of these freeways, looking like it's coming out of another era or something. But every single car was an ambassador. You couldn't buy another car, you know. And I remember the first thing when I when I came in the airport in Calcutta, and we were there was a big long line of us because it was a it was a chartered flight, and we were all kind of like lining up to get to go through the the you know the immigration, which at that time it was like, do you think it's slow now? Wow, it was something else. And I remember going past this this uh, stair stairway or stairs. And underneath the stairs, there was a little old man, and he was—he had a, a a nail that was rusty, and a hammer, and he was hammering the nail through the disembarkation forms, you know, and then threading them with some kind of yarn or some kind of, you know, and then I I said I went I thought, right, so what did Prabhupada have to cross over? in order to do what he did with us, you know? that was He came in 65, this was 75. <clears throat> the cultural, you know, obstacles and challenges that he must have gone through, you know? He used to, he used to ride the, 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 the subway to, from beginning to end and then just ride it back. And somebody asked him once, well, why do you do that? He said, I'm studying the American people. Just by watching and watching, he knew exactly what to say, how to do it, how to say it, in order to uh, spread this movement all over the world with us monkeys. Hare Krishna. I was just wondering about uh, when Balaram was intoxicated, and uh, and then and then the river refused to. To to accept his demand and and then the mood of humility after, so. What's yeah. Oh, well, I was thinking um, that in terms of uh, seeing the spiritual masters, uh, 
mundane person and then then that's kind of like being uh, offensive and uh, yeah and then uh, um, and then the mood of submission keeping the mood of submission so so just wondering about that that intox- well about how Balaram was in, in I mean seeing it as being intoxicated that part Uh, well, I just wanted to just have some comments. Is, a, is there ever a circumstance where you shouldn't obey the spiritual master? The spiritual master has become um, averse to Vishnu and starts advocating against the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Then you can. Also, if the spiritual master becomes a vishai, a gross sense enjoyer, yeah. and he does not want to reform or give up his ways, yes. then there's a reason to give him up. Yes. But it doesn't say if he has a fall down or he makes a mistake that then one should give him up, just if he persistently goes down that path. Yes. Incorrigible. If he's incorrigible. <clears throat> It's a question because I see certain devotees associating with some bogus gurus who are trying to imitate Krishna, uh, especially he's also active in Germany. And I see some devotees are, is this in his festivals, are performing kirtan there, are lecturing there. So I wonder what is the position of us associating with such men and should we be there? Is it okay to? perform kirtan there. Um, I don't know maybe what's the your point to it. Really it has to do with the circumstances particularly. It's really hard to make a general comment except for the ones that are there in the Shastra Avaishnava Mukun Girandram Putam Harikatam Ritam one shouldn't listen to the <coughs> speeches and even kirtan of people who are not <coughs> properly situated because the vibration will be disturbing actually. It won't be helpful. It will be poisonous in a way. <coughs> Someone has to be discriminating. On the other hand, You'll notice that Prabhupada, in his establishing the Krishna Consciousness Movement, took various risks in order to amass people. I mean, he went into the Family Dog, which was um, a big concert hall in San Francisco. He asked the poet uh, Allen Ginsberg to speak and so forth. Of course, uh, and there are even some cases where, where Prabhupada um, had 
you know, he, he had made some kind of arrangements with people who were popular in order to uh, facilitate large numbers of people coming to hear the Hare Krishna Ma Mantra. But the general principle is that one shouldn't cohort <clears throat> with those types of people or oh, embrace them wholeheartedly or open one's mind and heart to, to hearing them. But there are cases in which itinerant preachers may be traveling here and there and other, other places and introducing Krishna consciousness to people and there may happen to be other people there. You said they're worshiping a person who said they're God or something like that. <clears throat> I, you know, we could talk about the details of it, but those kinds of details are important also about what's really going on and who's doing it under what circumstances. I remember one statement Srila Prabhupada made, kind of tangential to this. He said, if you want to go fishing for a really big fish, don't get pulled in the water and go wet yourself. So to his point, uh, if you're not strong enough and you go to try to influence people like that, then you may get influenced yourself. If you're strong enough, then you can influence them. And if you're not strong enough, it may be the best part of valor to you know, not associate with persons like that, especially if they're very powerful and you know, have following, and you may get carried away. That's what just one potential scenario that one might want to be careful about. Just sometimes may seem that by us going there, we're supporting them, we are authorizing them. Yeah, so in such cases, it's probably helpful if those who are doing that kind of thing, clarify their position so that other people would know that I'm going there as an example to present Krishna consciousness. I'm not endorsing any of the people there necessarily. Would that help? Okay. <clears throat> Chapter 67, moving right along, the deliverance of Dvidvida Gorilla. While Shukadeva Goswami continued to speak on the transcendental pastimes and characteristics of Lord Krishna, King Prikshit, upon hearing him, became more and more enthusiastic and wanted to hear further. Shukadeva Goswami next narrated the story of Dvidvida, <clears throat> the gorilla who was killed by Lord Balaram. This gorilla was a great friend of Bomasura or Narakasura, who was killed by Krishna in connection with his kidnapping 16,000 princesses from all over the world. Dvidvida was the minister of King Sugriva. His brother, Mainda, was also a very powerful gorilla king. When Dvidvida Gorilla heard the story of his friend Bomasura's being killed by Lord Krishna, he planned to create mischief throughout the country in order to avenge the death of Bomasura. <coughs> his first business was to set fires in villages, towns, and industrial and mining places. 
as well as in the residential quarters of the mercantile men who were busy dairy farming and protecting cows. Sometimes he would uproot a big mountain and tear it to pieces. In this way, he created great disturbances all over the country, especially in the province of Katwar. The city of Dwarka was situated in this Katwar province, <clears throat> and because Lord Krishna used to live in this city, Dvidvida specifically made it his target of disturbance. Dvidvida was as powerful as 10,000 elephants. Sometimes he would go to the seashore and with his powerful hands he would create so much disturbance in the sea <clears throat> that he would flood the neighboring cities and villages. Often he would go to the hermitages of great saintly persons and sages and cause a great disturbance by smashing their beautiful gardens and orchards. Not only did he create disturbances in that way, but sometimes he would pass urine and stool on their sacred sacrificial arenas. He would thus pollute the whole atmosphere. He also kidnapped both men and women, taking them away from their residential places to the caves of the mountains. <clears throat> After putting them within the caves, he would close the entrances with large chunks of stone, like the bringy in insect, bringy insect, which arrests and carries away many flies and other insects and puts them within the holes of the trees where it, where it lives. Thus, Dvedveda regularly defied the law and order of the country. Not only that, but he would sometimes pollute the female members of many aristocratic families by forcibly raping them. While creating such great disturbances all over the country, sometimes he heard very sweet musical sounds from Raivataka mountain. And so he entered that mount mountainous region. <clears throat> there he saw Lord Balaram in the midst of many beautiful young girls, enjoying their company while singing and dancing. Dvidveda became captivated by the beauty of Lord Balaram's body, whose every feature was very beautiful decorated as he was with a garland of lotus flowers. Similarly, all the young girls present, dressed and garlanded with flowers, exhibited much beauty. Lord Balaram seemed very fully intoxicated from drinking the Varuni beverage, and his eyes appeared to be rolling in a drunken state. Lord Balaram appeared just like the king of the elephants in the midst of many she-elephants. This gorilla, by the name of Dvidvida, could climb up into the trees and jump from one branch to another. Sometimes he would jerk the branches, creating a particular type of sound, Kila, Kila, so that Lord Balaram was greatly distracted from the pleasing atmosphere. Sometimes Dvidvida would come before the women and exhibit different types of caricatures, by nature, young women are apt to enjoy everything with laughter and joking. And when the gorilla came before them, and did not take, he, they did not take him seriously, but simply laughed at him. However, the gorilla was so rude that even in the presence of Balaram, he began to show the lower part of his body to the women. And sometimes he would come forward to show his teeth 
while moving his eyebrows. He disrespected the women, even in the presence of Balaram. Lord Balaram's name suggests not only that he is very powerful, but that he takes pleasure in exhibiting extraordinary strength. So he took a stone and threw it at Druidvida. <clears throat> the gorilla, however, artfully avoided being struck by the stone. In order to insult Balaram, the gorilla took away the earthen pot in which the Varuni was kept. Dvidvida, being thus intoxicated with the limited strength with his limited strength, began to tear off all the valuable clothes worn by Lord by Balaram and the accompanying young girls. He was so puffed up <clears throat> that he thought Balaram could not do anything to chastise him. And he continued to offend Balaramaji and his companions. When Lord Balaram saw the disturbances created by the gorilla and heard that he had already performed many mischievous activities all over the country, he became very angry and decided to kill him. Immediately he took up he took his club in his hands. The gorilla could understand that now Balaram was going to attack him. To counterattack counter Balaram, he immediately uprooted a big oak tree, and with great force he came. What? To counteract. Counteract? To counteract Balaram, he immediately uprooted a big oak tree. And with great force, he came and struck Lord Balaram's head. Lord Balaram, however, immediately caught hold of the big tree and remained undisturbed, just like a great mountain. To retaliate, he took his club, named Sunanda, and hit the gorilla with it, severely injuring his head. Currents of blood flowed from the gorilla's head with great force, but the stream of blood simply enhanced his beauty like a stream of liquid manganese coming out of a great mountain. The striking of Balaram's club did not even slightly disturb him. On the contrary, he immediately did not even slightly disturb him. On the contrary, he immediately uprooted another big oak tree, and after clipping off all its leaves, you can just take it as sound effects of the On the contrary, he immediately uprooted another big tree and after clipping off all its leaves, again struck Balaram's head with it. But Balaram, with the help of his club, tore the tree to pieces. Since the gorilla was very angry, he took another tree in his hands and struck Lord Balaram's body. Again, Lord Balaram tore the tree to pieces, and the fighting continued. Each time the gorilla would bring out a big tree to strike Balaram, Lord Balaram would tear the tree to pieces by the striking of his club. Uh, we could probably just close those. Each time the gorilla would bring out a big tree to strike Balaram, Lord Balaram would tear the tree to pieces by the striking of his club. And the gorilla... Dvidvita would clutch another tree from another direction and again attack Balaram in the same way. As a result of this continuous fighting, the forest became treeless. When no more trees were available, Dvidvita 
took help from the hills and threw large pieces of stone like rainfall upon the body of Balaram. Lord Balaram, in a great sporting mood, began to smash those big pieces of stone into mere pebbles. The gorilla, being bereft of all trees and stone slabs, now stood before Balaram and waved his strong fists. This time Lord Balaram became most angry. Since the gorilla was striking him with his hands, Lord Balaram would not strike him back with his own weapons, the club or the plow. Simply with his fist, he struck the collarbone of the gorilla. This blow proved fatal to Dvidvid, who immediately vomited blood and fell unconscious upon the ground. When the gorilla fell, fell all the trees and forests appeared to totter. After this horrible incident, all the siddhas, great sages, and saintly persons from the upper planetary system showered flowers on the person of Lord Balaram and vibrated sounds glorifying his supremacy. All of them chanted, All glories to Lord Balaram. Let us offer our respectful obeisances unto your lotus feet. By killing this great demon, Dvidvid, you have initiated an auspicious era for the world. All such jubilant sounds of victory were heard from outer space. After killing the great demon, Dvidvid, and being worshipped by showers of flowers and glorious sounds of victory, Balaram returned to his capital city, Dwarka. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 67th chapter of Krishna, The Deliverance of Dudvid Gorilla. Duryodhan, the son of Jitrasha, had a marriageable daughter by the name Lakshmana. She was a very highly qualified girl of the Kuru dynasty, and many princes wanted to marry her. In such cases, the Swayamvar ceremony is held so that the girl may select her husband according to her own choice. In Lakshmana's Swayamvar ceremony, assembly, rather, when the girl was to select her husband, Samba appeared. He was a son of Krishna's by Jambavati, one of Krishna's chief wives. The son Samba, this son Samba was so named because he was a pet child and always lived close to his mother. The name Samba indicates a son who is very much his mother's pet. Amba means mother and Sa means with. So this special name was given to him because he always remained with his mother. He was also known as Jambavati Sutta for the same reason. As previously explained, all the sons of Krishna were as qualified as their great father. Samba wanted Duryodhana's daughter, Lakshmana, although she was not inclined to have him. Therefore, Samba kidnapped Lakshmana by force from the Swayambar assembly. Because Samba took Lakshmana away from the assembly by force, all the members of the Kuru dynasty, such as Dhritarashtra, Bhishma, Vidura, and Arjuna, thought it an insult to their family tradition that the boy, Samba, could possibly have kidnapped their daughter. All of them knew that Lakshmana was not at all inclined to select him as her husband and that she was not given a chance to select her own husband. Instead, she was forcibly taken away by this boy. Therefore, they decided that he must be punished. They unanimously declared that he was most impotent and had degraded the Kuru's family tradition. 
Therefore, all of them, under the counsel of the elder members of the Kuru family, decided to arrest the boy but not kill him. They concluded that the girl could not be married to any boy other than Samba since she had already been touched by him. According to the Vedic system, once being touched by some boy, a girl cannot be married or given to any other boy, nor would anyone agree to marry a girl who had already been already thus associated with another boy. The elder members of the family, such as Bhishma, wanted to arrest him. Thus, all the members of the Kuru dynasty, especially the great fighters, joined together just to teach him a lesson, and Karna was made the commander-in-chief for this small battle. While making the plan to arrest Samba, the Kurus counseled together, the Kurus counseled amongst themselves that upon his arrest, the members of the Yadu dynasty would be very angry with them. There was every possibility of the Yadus accepting the challenge and fighting with them. But they also thought, if they come here to fight with us, what could they do? The members of the Yadu dynasty cannot equal the members of the Kuru dynasty because the kings of the Kuru dynasty are the emperors, whereas the kings of the Yadu dynasty are able to enjoy their land only because we have granted it to them. The Kurus thought, if they come here to challenge us because their son was arrested, we shall accept the fight and teach them a lesson because their son was arrested. Mm. Sorry? Okay, yeah. The Kurus thought, if they come here to challenge us because their son was arrested, we shall accept the fight and teach them a lesson so that automatically they will be subdued under pressure and the senses are, as the senses are subdued by the mystic yoga process, pranayama. In the mechanical system of mystic yoga, the airs within the body are controlled and the senses are subdued and checked from being engaged in any other any other than meditation upon Lord Vishnu. After consultation and after receiving permission from the elder members of the Kuru dynasty, such as Bhishma and Dhritarashtra, five great warriors, Karna, Shala, Bhudi, Yagnaketu, and Duryodhan, the father of the girl, who were all Maharatis and who were guided by the great fighter Bhishmadev, attempted to arrest the boy Samba. There are different grades of fighters, including Maharati, Ekarati, and Rati, classified according to their fighting ability. These Maharatis Ratis, could fight alone with many thousands of men, all of them combined together to arrest Samba. Samba was also a Maharati, but he was alone and had to fight with the six other Maharatis. Still, he was not deterred when he saw all the great fighters of the Kuru dynasty coming up behind him to arrest him. Alone, he turned toward them and took his nice bow, posing exactly as a lion stands adamant in the face of other animals. Karna, leading the party, challenged Samba. Why are you fleeing? Just stand, and we shall teach you a lesson. When challenged by other Chetriya, another Chetriya to stand and fight, a Chetriya cannot run away. He must fight. Therefore Samba accepted the challenge and stood alone before them. But as soon as he did so, 
he was overpowered by showers of arrows shot by all the great warriors. A lion is never afraid of being chased by many wolves and jackals. Similarly, Samba, the glorious son of the Yadu dynasty, endowed with inconceivable potencies as the son of Lord Krishna, became very angry at the warriors of the Kuru dynasty for improperly using arrows against him. He fought them with great talent. First of all, he struck each of the six charioteers with six separate arrows. He used another four arrows to kill the charioteer's horses, four on each chariot. Then he used one arrow to kill the driver and one arrow for Karna, as well as the other celebrated fighters. While Samba so diligently fought alone with the six great warriors, they all appreciated the boy's inconceivable potency. <clears throat> Even in the midst of the fighting, they admitted frankly that this boy Samba was wonderful. <clears throat> but the fighting was conducted in the Chatriya spirit. So altogether, although it was improper, they obliged Samba to get down from his chariot, now broken to pieces. Of the six warriors, four took care to kill Samba's four horses. One struck down his chariot driver, and one managed to cut the string of Samba's bow so that he could no longer fight with them. In this way, with great difficulty, and after a severe fight, they deprived Samba of his chariot and were able to arrest him. <clears throat> Thus the warriors of the Kuru dynasty accepted their great victory and took their daughter, Lakshmana, away from him. Thereafter, they entered the city of Hastinapur in great triumph. The great sage Narada immediately carried the news to the Yadu dynasty that Samba had been arrested and told him the whole story. The members of the Yadu dynasty be became very angry at Samba's being arrested, and improperly so, by six warriors. <clears throat> now, with the permission of the head of the Yadu dynasty, King, King Ugrasena, they prepared to attack the capital city of the Kuru dynasty. Although Lord Balaram knew very well that by slight provocation, people are prepared to fight with one another in the age of Kali. He did not like the idea that the two great dynasties, the Kuru dynasty and the Yadu dynasty, would fight amongst themselves, even though they were influenced by Kali Yuga. Instead of fighting with them, he wisely thought, let me go there and see the situation, and let me try to see if the fight can be settled by mutual understanding. Balaram's idea was that if the Kuru dynasty could be induced to release Samba along with his wife, Lakshmana, then the fight could be avoided. He therefore immediately arranged for a nice chariot to go to Hastinapur, accompanied by learned priests and brahmanas, as well as by some of the elder members of the Yadu dynasty. He was confident that the members of the Kuru dynasty would agree to this marriage and avoid fighting with the Yadus. As Lord Balaram proceeded toward Hastinapur in his chariot, accompanied by the brahmanas and elders, he looked like the moon shining in the clear sky amongst the glittering stars. 
When Lord Balaram reached the precincts of the city of Hastinapur, he did not enter, but stationed himself in a camp outside the city, in a small garden house. Then he asked Uddhava to meet with the leaders of the Kuru dynasty and inquire from them whether they wanted to fight with the Yodha dynasty or to make a settlement. Uddhava went to see the leaders of the Kuru dynasty and he met all the important members, including Bhishmadev, Dhritarashtra, Dronacharya, Duryodhana, and Balika. After offering them due respects, he informed them that Lord Balaram had arrived at the garden outside the city gate. The leaders of the Kuru dynasty, especially Dhritarashtra and Duryodhana, were joyful because they knew very well that Lord Balaram was a great well-wisher of their family. They were, there were no bounds to their joy on hearing the news, and so they immediately welcomed Uddhava. In order to properly receive Lord Balaram, they all took in their hands auspicious paraphernalia for his reception and went to see him outside the city gate. According to their respective positions, they welcomed Lord Balaram by giving him in charity nice cows and argya, a mixture of arati water and an assortment of items such as honey, butter, flowers, and sandalwood pulp. Because all of them knew the exalted position of Lord Balaram as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, they bowed their heads before the Lord with great respect. They all exchanged words of reception by asking one another about their welfare. And when such formalities were finished, Lord Balaram, in a great voice and very patiently, submitted before them the following words for their consideration. My dear friends, this time I have come to you as a messenger with the order of the all-powerful, King Ugrasena. Please, therefore, hear the order with attention and great care. Without wasting a single moment, please try to carry out the order. King Ugrasena knows very well that you warriors of the Kuru dynasty improperly fought with the pious Samba, who was alone, and with that great and, and that with great difficulty and unrighteous tactics you have arrested him. We have all heard this news, but we are not very much agitated because we are most intimately related to one another. I do not think we should disturb our good relationship. It's, we should continue our friendship without any unnecessary fighting. Please, therefore, immediately release Samba and bring him, along with his wife, Lakshmana, before me. When Lord Balaram spoke in a commanding tone, full of heroic assertion, supremacy and chivalry, the leaders of the Kuru dynasty did not appreciate his statements. Rather, all of them became, became agitated, and with great anger they said, Oh, these words are very astonishing, but quite befitting the Otherwise, how could Balaram speak so vituperatively?
pituperatively. The language and tone, huh? Vituperatively, vituperatively, vituperatively. It sounds like an English aristocrat using big language and vituperatively. Otherwise, how could Balaram speak so vituperatively? The language and tone used by Balaram are simply abusive. And due to the influence of this age, it appears that the shoes befitting the feet want to rise to the top of the head where the helmet is worn. We are connected with the Yadu dynasty by marriage and because of this they have been given the chance to come live with us, dine with us, and sleep with us. Now they are taking advantage of this. They had practically no position before we gave them a portion of our kingdom to rule. And now they are trying to command us. We have allowed the other dynasty to use the royal the whisk, fan, conch shell, white umbrella, crown, royal throne, sitting place, and bedstead, along with everything else fitting the royal order. They should not have used such royal paraphernalia in our presence. But we did not check them due to our family enough of their impudence. We cannot allow them to do any more of these things, nor shall we allow them to use these royal insignias. It would be best to take all these things away. It is improper to feed a snake with milk, since such merciful activities simply increase his venom. Whoa. The Yadu dynasty is now trying to go against those who have fed them so nicely their flourishing condition is due to our gifts and merciful behavior. And still, they are so shameless that they are trying to order us. How regrettable are those, for all, all those activities. No one in the world can enjoy anything if members of the Kuru dynasty like Bhishma, Dronacharya and Arjuna do not allow them to exactly as a lamb cannot enjoy life in the presence of a lion. Without our desire, it is not even possible for the demigods in heaven, headed by King Indra, to find enjoyment in life. What to speak of ordinary human beings? Actually, the members of the Kuru dynasty were very much puffed up due to their opulence, kingdom, aristocracy, family tradition great warriors, family members, and vast, expansive empire. They did not even observe common formalities of civilized society. And in the presence of Lord Balaram, they uttered insulting words about the Yadu dynasty. Having spoken in this mannerly way, they returned to their city of Hastinapur. Although Lord Balaram patiently heard their insulting words and simply observed their uncivil behavior, from his appearance it was clear that he was burning with anger and was thinking of retaliating with great vengeance. His bodily features became so much agitated that it was difficult for anyone to look at him. He laughed very loudly and said, 
It is true that if a man becomes too much puffed up because of his family, opulence, beauty, and material advancement, he no longer wants a peaceful life, but becomes belligerent toward all others. It is useless to give such a person good instruction for gentle behavior and a peaceful life. On the contrary, one should search out the ways and means to punish him. Generally, due to material opulence, a man becomes exactly like an animal. To give an animal peaceful instructions is useless, and the only means is argumentum ad baculum. In other words, the only means to keep animals in order is a stick. Just see how impotent are the members of the Yadda dynasty. I wanted to make a peaceful settlement despite the anger of all the other members of the Yadda dynasty, including Lord Krishna himself. They were preparing to attack the whole kingdom of the Kuru dynasty. But I pacified them and took the trouble to come here, settle the affair without any fighting. Yet these rascals behave like this. It is clear that they do not want a peaceful settlement, for they are factually warmongers. With great pride, they have repeatedly insulted me by calling the Yadu dynasty ill names. Even the king of Hendra, heaven, Indra, abides by the order of the Yadu dynasty. And you consider King Udgursena, the head of the Bojas, Vishnis, Undakas, and Yadavas, to be the leader of a small phalanx? Your conclusion is wonderful. You do not care for King Udgursena, whose order is obeyed even by King Indra. Consider the exalted position of the Yadu dynasty. They have forcibly used both the assembly house and the Pariyajata tree of the heavenly planets, and still you think they cannot order you? Don't you think, don't you even think that Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, can sit on the exalted royal throne and command everyone? All right, if your thinking is like that, you deserve to be taught a very good lesson. You have thought it wise that the royal insignias like the whisk, fan, white umbrella, royal throne, and other princely paraphernalia not be used by the outer dynasty. Does this mean that even Lord Krishna, the lord of the whole creation and the husband of the goddess of fortune, cannot use this royal paraphernalia? The dust of Krishna's lotus feet is worshipped by all the great demigods. The Ganges water inundates the whole world, and since it emanates from his lotus feet, its banks have turned into great places of pilgrimage. The principal deities of all planets engage in his service and consider themselves most fortunate to take the dust of the lotus feet of Krishna on their helmets. Great demigods like Lord Brahma, Lord Shiva, and even the goddess of fortune and I are simply plenary parts of his spiritual identity. And still you think that he is not fit to use the royal insignia? or even sit on the royal throne? Alas, how regrettable it is that these fools consider us, the members of the outer dynasty, to be like shoes and themselves like helmets. It is clear now that these leaders of the Kuru dynasty have become mad over their worldly possessions and opulence. Every statement they made was full of crazy proposals. I should immediately take them to task and bring them to their senses. If I do not take steps against them, it will be improper on my part. Therefore, on this very day, I shall rid the whole world of any trace of the Kuru dynasty. I shall finish them off immediately. While talking like this, Lord Balaram seemed so furious that he looked as if he could burn the whole cosmic creation to ashes. 
He stood up steadily and taking his plow in his hand, began striking the earth with it, separating the whole city of Hastinapur from the earth. And then he began to drag the city toward the flowing water of the river Ganges. This caused a great tremor throughout Hastinapur as if there had been an earthquake and it seemed that the whole city would be dismantled. When all the members of the Kuru dynasty saw that their city was about to fall into the water of the Ganges, and when they heard their citizens howling in great anxiety, they immediately came to their senses and understood what was happening. Thus, without waiting another second, they brought forward their daughter Lakshmana. They also brought Samba, who had forcibly tried to take her away, keeping him in the forefront with Lakshmana at his back. All the members of the Kuru dynasty appeared before Lord Balaram with folded hands, just to beg the pardon of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now using good sense, they said, O Lord Balaram, reservoir of all pleasures, you are the maintainer and support of the entire cosmic situation. Unfortunately, we were all unaware of your inconceivable potencies. Dear Lord, please consider us most foolish. Our intelligence was bewildered and not in order. Therefore, we have come before you to beg your pardon. Please excuse us. You are the original creator, sustainer, and annihilator of the whole cosmic manifestation, and still your position is always transcendental. O oh, all-powerful Lord, great sages speak about you. <coughs> you are the original puppeteer, and everything in the world is just like your toy. O oh, unlimited one, you have, to, you have a hold on everything, and like a child's play, and like, and like child's play, you hold all the planetary systems on your head. When the time for dissolution comes, you, can, you close up the whole cosmic manifestation within yourself. At that time, nothing remains but yourself lying in the causal ocean as Mahavishnu. Our dear Lord, you have appeared on this earth in your transcendental body, just for the maintenance of the, of the entire cosmic manifestation. You are above all anger, envy, and enmity. Whatever you do, even in the form of chastisement, is auspicious for the whole material existence. We offer our respectful obeisances unto you because you are the imperishable Supreme Personality of Godhead, the reservoir of all opulences and potencies. O creator of innumerable universes, let us fall down and offer you our respectful obeisances again and again. We are now completely surrendered unto you. Please, therefore, be merciful upon us and give us your protection. When the prominent members of the Kuru dynasty, from Grandfather Bhishma to Arjuna and Duryodhan, had offered their respectful prayers in that way, the Supreme Personality of God, Lord Balaram, immediately became softened and assured them that there was no cause for fear and that they need not worry. For the most part, it was the practice of the Kshatriya kings to inaugurate some kind of fighting between the parties of the bride and the bridegroom before the marriage. When Samba forcibly took away Lakshman of the elder members of the Kuru dynasty were pleased to see that he was actually the suitable match for her. In order to see his personal strength, however, they fought with him, and without respect for the regularity regulations of fighting, they all arrested him. When the Yadu dynasty decided to release Samba from the confinement of the Kurus, Lord Balaram came personally to settle the matter, and as a powerful Kshatriya, he ordered them to free Samba immediately. 
The Kauravas were specifically insulted by this. Excuse, the Kauravas were superficially insulted by this order, so they challenged Lord Balaram's power. They simply wanted to see him exhibit his inconceivable strength. Thus, with great pleasure, they handed over their daughter to Samba, and the whole matter was settled. Duryodhan, being affectionate towards his daughter Lakshmana, had her married to Samba in great pomp. For her dowry, he first gave 1,200 elephants, each at least 60 years old, and then he gave 10,000 nice horses, 6,000 chariots, dazzling just like the sunshine, and 1,000 maidservants decorated with golden ornaments. <clears throat> Lord Balaram, the most prominent member of the Yadu dynasty, acted as guardian of the bridegroom Samba and very pleasingly accepted the dowry. Balaram was very satisfied after his great reception from the side of the Kurus and accompanied by the newly married couple, he started toward his capital city of Dwarka. Lord Balaram triumphantly reached Dwarka where he met with many citizens who were all his devotees and friends. When they all assembled, Lord Balaram narrated the whole story of the marriage and they were astonished to hear how Lord Balaram had made the city of Hastinapur tremble. It's confirmed by Shukadev Goswami that in those days the river flowing through the city of Hastinapur, present-day New Delhi, was known as the Ganges, although today it is called the Jamuna. From authorities like Jiva Goswami, it is confirmed that the Ganges and Jamuna are the same river flowing in different courses. The part of the Ganges which flows through the through Hastinapur to the area of Vrindavan is called the Jamuna because it is sanctified by the transcendental pastimes of Lord Krishna. The part of Hastinapur which slopes toward the Jamuna becomes inundated during the rainy season and reminds everyone of Lord Balaram's threatening to cast the city into the Ganges. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the sixth. 68th, goodness, chapter of Krishna, the marriage of Samba. Hey,